Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Thank you and good evening. It's great to be uh, together tonight. It's a fantastic thing, Resurrection Sunday. And so we're going to jump in straight away. And I just really believe that God is going to uh, give you some keys tonight to really get a fresh handle on what it means to be people of the resurrection. So let's just jump into it right now. If you've ever been with somebody as they've died, something uh, besides the obvious physical things of life draining from a human body, something happens to you. Something changes around uh, hope and this sense of future. Uh, It's a little bit hard to put your finger on because it's quite emotional when it happens, but it's something to do with hope. Uh, And it's something to do with this realization that um, there is a finality in death. Haven't I started with a cheery topic? There's something about the finality of death that hits you and and hits you hard. Uh, Maybe uh, you haven't been with somebody. Often when we're young, that hasn't happened for us. Maybe when you've had a few years of experience, that could have happened. Or maybe you've been to a funeral. Uh, I can remember being, I haven't been to many funerals in my life, but I've been to a few. And then you find yourself sometimes just staring at the coffin, uh, just wondering and thinking, this is really, this is final. There's no comeback from this. It's the end. And this, this awareness of that just hits you. Maybe you've not been in any of those situations when it's about human life or maybe you've had a pet die and, and you're just aware all of a sudden that death is actually, it's real and it's final and it's, um, there's no comeback from it. Or maybe you just, uh, you haven't had any of those things happen and you're just desperately trying to make some indoor plants survive in your household. I know like you've either got a green thumb or you don't. Uh, my, my thumb is fairly green. It's not as green as, it's, <laughs> it's not as green as, does everyone understand what that means? Green thumb? I don't understand what it means, but it is a saying to mean that you're good with plants. Uh, I come from a long history of good plant people uh, and mine managed to stay alive most of the time, but maybe yours don't. Or maybe you've just even had some fruit once upon a time sitting on the kitchen bench and you left it a little bit too long and it started to decay and you just realise there's no coming back from this. And it's interesting how it doesn't take too long in life. I think when you're younger, you're shielded from it a little bit, but it doesn't take too long in adulthood to realise that there is this dynamic around death that drains hope and you realise that death is final. Well, this is the state we find the disciples in when we, we come back into the Resurrection Sunday narrative. We find the disciples in this place of uh, realising all their hopes they had about Jesus, all their aspirations, all the thought that he was going to usher in a new era of political freedom, gone. And it was hitting them hard. We actually find the disciples at dawn in this place of completely being drained and despondent, grieving and confused. But you see, it's really easy for us to miss this as we read the narrative because you can actually read the story that, that covers three days of history. You can read that in about three minutes. And what happens sometimes is when we condense 
uh, a three-day story into a three-minute story, what happens is that all the emotion actually gets squeezed out of it. When you think about the Old Testament, uh, here is the children of Israel for 40 years. They're wandering around in the desert uh, not knowing which way is up and God's keeping them out of the promised land. And you can read that whole story in maybe 40 minutes. Condensing 40 years into 40 minutes squeezes the life out of the actual feelings around what they would have felt. And the same is with the resurrection story. You can read the last chapter of John, the last couple of chapters of John. You can read them in about three minutes time, three days of history, and all of a sudden the feelings around hope being drained and finality finished, you can miss it. We actually have to pause and go a little bit slower to get this. I remember when I was at Bible college, because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, not a speed reader. I'm not like one of those magic speed readers, but I do like to try and move things along fairly quickly. It's a little bit around my personality. Um, go to Bible college and they say, okay, what we're going to do to slow you down is you've actually got to read it in the Greek. That slowed me down a lot. Uh, but, you know, the good thing it did is it caused me to pause a lot longer in the text. And what God would encourage us to do as we think about this resurrection narrative today is actually pause for a moment and think, what was it like to be pre-dawn on Resurrection Sunday, not knowing that it was going to be called Resurrection Sunday? It was just day three of hopelessness in the story that was Jesus. And so we come to this place and we see John recording what happens in chapter 20, of his gospel. And so we're going to jump into it at John 20, verse 11. Now I'm reading from the NIV. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, I'm in the NIV, John chapter 20, verse 11. And it starts like this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. What's interesting here is that we're going to find out in a moment that seeing these two beings in white didn't trigger anything for her. Now, John, uh, John's gospel is a little bit different to Luke's gospel. Luke makes it very clear that they're angelic beings, shining and all that sort of thing. But in John's gospel, there's no such hint here. It's just two people in white. Whatever happened, she did not for a moment put two and two together, this might be some sort of supernatural thing breaking into the physical reality. So they ask her, the two angels, which actually in the Greek, uh, there's the same word of messenger. So it could be just that they looked very natural to her or her grief was so overwhelming, she wasn't considering for a moment that she might be at the coalface of the change of history. So they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Notice that there's not even a hint of resurrection language in her at the moment. It's just simply my biggest concern at the moment is the body has gone. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. He asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, it was quite common for gardeners to be near tombs because the tombs were in gardens. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him and I will get him. She was so despondent that she was more concerned about the gardener or the two messengers not messing with her 
Don't mess with me. Just tell me where you've put the body. There's no sense of hope at all in this. She's completely despondent because she understood what every single human in history understood up to that point, that there is a finality in death that is just impossible to escape. And as we read this part of the narrative, we're, we're meant to be drawn into this place of feeling the utter hopelessness of Mary standing there, leaning down to look into the tomb to see that Jesus' body was not there. So to put grief upon grief, she didn't even know where his body was now. See, death is final until it's not. And that's the beautiful thing about this narrative, that something at verse 15 and 16 changes and a little spark of hope. Do you know what it's like when, when you've given up hope around anything and it, and it feels like that hope or that aspiration that I had, that, that little bit of what was gone, and then all of a sudden it comes rushing back. You can feel it emotionally. Sometimes you get like goosebumps in your arms or whatever it is, but there's just all of a sudden this little flicker of hope. And this is what happens to Mary. As Jesus goes about in the next few moments, removing this whole idea of, you know, the saying, there's two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Jesus changes that subset to being two items to one. So he removes death from this thing of absolute surety. So all that's left now is taxes. So you can be sure of taxes. And he, and he changes them from sorrow to joy. So we pick up the narrative again at verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary, notice how he uses her name. He knew who she was. And then all of a sudden that changes everything. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, what he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, it was quite common when your leader was assassinated uh, that your movement would be put down politically very soon afterwards. So they were in fear. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, moving from complete sorrow to joy. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. A powerful story of moving from utter and complete sorrow to the place of overwhelming joy in just a very short amount of time. And, and amazing change that happens in the course of human history. But what does resurrection mean for you and me? If somebody was to ask you this week, what is Easter all about? Most of the time, we will focus on the idea that Jesus died for our sins. Because, I don't know, there's something that seems almost uh, 
I can understand that just a little bit more. I can understand that instead of me, it was him. But how often do we explain Easter around this whole idea of resurrection? I think that's a little bit harder to understand. And sometimes it's a little bit harder to what does it look like in my life for this week or next week? And so I want to explore over the next few minutes that we've got, I want to explore the idea of what does the resurrection actually mean for you and me today moving forward? Because often what happens is that Good Friday is all about your past, but Resurrection Sunday is all about your future. So let's look at the um, three, I've got three things that I just want to uh, ponder tonight together around this idea of what does Jesus' resurrection actually mean? If you've ever had an argument with someone, uh, then you'll know that, uh, that the way we talk about arguments is we have this saying called they had the final say. So the final say basically means that you've had a verbal uh, disagreement with somebody and um, somebody finished that conversation because their logic was greater or because their voice was louder or because they threatened you or whatever it is. But there's always somebody, when two people are arguing, there's always somebody who has a final say. The final say is a really powerful thing. And what the resurrection tells us is that once upon a time, death used to have the final say. But no longer does death have the final say in your life and my life, if you know Jesus. And that's a powerful thing. For much of history, uh, there might have been a rich person who'd be like, I am gonna, uh, I'm going to get riches and I'm going to just uh, have my riches and no one's ever going to take those riches off me. And what death says as a final say to the rich person is, actually, you can't take it with you. What death says to the independent person is that actually you, the end of your days, you might think that you're independent and you don't need anyone, but you will die. What death says to the famous person is that you can try and build your brand as much as you want, but at the end of the day, you will die. And so the whole of history has been this ongoing argument with death in which death has won every single time. And then Jesus turns up on the scene. And death has its way with Jesus, but on the third day, it couldn't hold him down any longer. And Jesus rises and has victory over death. It's a little bit like this. I think of it about a personification. Think about it as a personification of death. Now, when I was a young fella, a teenager, um, there was this uh, virus going around the planet called AIDS. We don't tend to talk about AIDS much anymore, but it was a HIV virus. Uh, and so there was a public health campaign in Australia to uh, help us understand how dangerous this virus was. So somebody came up, and I don't know where it came from, but somebody came up with this idea of this personification of death, and it was the Grim Reaper. Now, you can go onto YouTube and verify this. You can look up Grim Reaper, and you'll see this character that is like got, you know, cloaks on and looks menacing and got this big sickle. The idea is... In, and, and from that ad uh, campaign, it's become part of popular culture. When somebody says the Grim Reaper, we understand it's the personification of death. Well, what happens in the resurrection story is like there's been this tussle uh, between death and Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the Grim Reaper bows at the name of Jesus. And Jesus is enthroned above every single thing, including death. 
Jesus has the final say on death and death bows to Jesus because death could not hold him down. For one or two days, yes, but Jesus comes bursting back to life and helps us to understand that no longer in human history does death have the final say for the Christian. And this is a powerful thing. We still experience death, but the sting and the victory of death has been swallowed up. Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he pens, well, he actually, he actually takes it, I think, from Hosea, one of the Old Testament. He, he grabs a phrase from the Old Testament prophets, one of the minor prophets, and he pens this in his chapter 15, all about resurrection. He says, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? So for the first time in history, Jesus has the final say over death. This is a powerful thing. And this is no vain hope for us. And, and Paul, even when he was talking to some of his, his uh, pastoral letters, he'd talk about this idea of, you know, I want to stay, but I also want to go. For me to die is gain and to live is Christ. It's this idea of he's in this, in, he's in this wrestle because all of a sudden, instead of death being this thing that is terrible, and it, death is actually now submitted itself to Christ. It's a powerful thing that we now live with a reality where we don't have to fear death. If you were, if you were to talk to people, if you, were a, if you were a chaplain in an aged care facility, I could guarantee you one of the themes you would talk to people about a lot is the idea of fear of death. And what resurrection power does in our lives is it removes the fear of death to be just another thing that Jesus has conquered. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? So that's the first thing. There's now a new final say over the condition of humankind and it's Jesus and not death. The second thing that uh, I I find helpful when I'm thinking about this idea of resurrection is this. As apprentices of Jesus, we have his resurrection power living, flowing, and dwelling in us. This is, this is an amazing thing. Now, often as you read the Bible, you, you don't often get the narrative peeled back to look into the mechanics of how God does stuff. It's, it's a rare thing where you get to understand the mechanics of how God answers prayer. It's a rare thing of all this sort of stuff. But in Romans chapter 8, Verse 11, it's like the narrative peels back and we get this insight into what actually happened on resurrection morning. And it's a powerful thing. So as Paul's penning one of the most iconic chapters in the Bible, at verse 11, he writes this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He also raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. We we, we get this a bit of an insight into actually what happened on resurrection morning, pre-dawn. It wasn't just that Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. It wasn't just that he was sinless. He was sinless. And it wasn't just that he was God. He was God. They weren't the factors that determined the resurrection power flowing into him. It was actually the spirit of God, 
who came and breathed life into him and caused him to rise again. And Paul says that very same power dwells in you and me. So here's the conversation pre-dawn. Jesus' body is lifeless in the tomb and the Spirit of God and God the Father have a conversation. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? It's time. And the Spirit of God goes into that tomb and causes a heartbeat to start again, causes heat to come into cells, causes oxygen to come into lungs. Uh, And this is a powerful thing that we get to see the mechanics of it's actually the Spirit of God who came, the Holy Spirit comes and causes resurrection morning to happen. And Paul doesn't just leave it there as some sort of, this is just an academic or philosophical thing, right? It's just a piece of information that you need to know. He says, this is not just a piece of information that you need to know to tuck away in the back of your mind. What he wants us to understand is that resurrection morning is all about you and I being filled with that same resurrection power. The difference that Resurrection Sunday makes for you and I today is that the very same spirit, the same resurrecting spirit lives in you and I and causing life to come into our mortal bodies. What does that look like? I'm glad you ask. It looks like instead of sorrow, joy being poured into you by the spirit. Instead of turmoil, it looks like peace being poured in. Instead of powerlessness, it's power being poured into into you. Um, Healing, whatever it is from the spirit of God, uh, it is the resurrecting spirit of God transforming your mortal body to be a conduit for God himself on the planet. See, we talk about at this church our vision statement is heaven coming to earth. And sometimes we think that's sort of some sort of out there type thing, like the Spirit of God dwells in the in the rafters here and it's like if we could just get him a lot. But it's not actually how God primarily works. How he primarily works is that he pours his spirit, his resurrecting spirit into hearts and souls of people who are like, Jesus, I want more of you. I need more of you. Would you come and transform me more? This is an incredible thing that God resurrected Jesus by his spirit and that same power dwells in you. See how the resurrection is not just, it's not just a past thing. It's all a future focused thing because tomorrow Jesus's spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to pour resurrection life into you, into any situation you go into. If you go into a hopeless situation tomorrow, the spirit of God actually wants to pour into you to bring about hope that wasn't there. This is good news. This means that you don't have to live without hope as one trying their hardest to work out what God's doing. His his resurrection spirit is now in you. And this is the period of history we live in where death is no longer king and his spirit is dwelling powerfully in you to bring about his resurrection power into every situation you go into. The third and final thing that I think about when I think about this, and and Paul spells this out in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is his major thinking through what resurrection means. Uh, And he talks about this whole idea that there is a day coming when death, decay, and sorrow will be completely done away with. You will stand before God, 
not with your body that has got sore knees sometimes and ankles that don't quite work how they used to work. Uh, and you know what I'm talking, bags under the eyes that never used to be there. Now, you know, some of you young people will be just like, uh, never think about this stuff because it feels like your body's going to be fantastic forever. I've got news for you. It's not going to be fantastic forever because you're living in a decaying body. But what's going to happen for eternity is that God will give you a new body, a resurrected body, a body where nothing is wrong with it. And you will live before God in this incredible eternal state of being completely whole and healed and restored in every single aspect of body, soul and mind. And that is what the end goal of resurrection is all about. And that's a powerful thing because he could have just left you with a limp for eternity. He really could have. He could have left, could have left you with what, what, you know, as you, he could have left you with so many things, but he says, no, you're going to have a restored and whole body. The band can come up as we, uh, as we um, just bring these things home. I think the scriptures move us towards this idea that resurrection means this that there has been a final say over death and it was Jesus. And now he rules and reigns over death. That as apprentices of Jesus, his resurrection power is available to us because the same spirit that caused the heartbeat to come back and the breath to come back lives in you. And that one day you will have a completely whole restored body to live before him forever and ever. It's a powerful thing. Is this the Easter where death loses its sting and its victory over you? If you spend any time fearful about what the end of your life or the afterlife will look like, the good news is that Jesus has come to solve that fear by bringing absolute assurance around what is going to happen to you when you are his. God's resurrection power looks like power pulsing through you every day of your life here on earth. And that's a powerful thing. And uh, I wonder tonight whether God just wants to come and minister and bring a transformation in your life and my life around these ideas. So that they're not just ideas, but they're, con they're not just concepts, but they're realities we live with every day while we're here on this planet in these mortal bodies. Let's stand together. I just want to pray tonight for two uh, groups of people. And the first people that I want to just pray for uh, is if you have got any fear whatsoever around your life, what death looks like, what the afterlife looks like, this is one of the most powerful things about Resurrection Sunday is that he wants to take that from you. And instead of fear, he wants to bring peace. And instead of sorrow, he wants to bring joy around what, the end of your life looks like. And because if you can have peace and joy around that, it will flood every single day between now and then where he takes fear away. So let's just close our eyes. And if you're in that place tonight where you have fear around what the future looks like, I want to pray for you. You can, uh, you can, if you'd like to, you can put your hands in front of you or you can just say, Jesus, this is, this is the thing that's been bothering me. I just don't know what it looks like in the end. I want to pray for you right now. So, Father, I would just pray that your the, the reality of your resurrection would come and flood into every place where fear exists around what the end of human life looks like and the afterlife looks like. Father, I pray right now 
that you would come and minister powerfully to every single one of us, that everyone in this room would experience what it is to live every single day fearless around what the future of our human life looks like. Thank you, Father, that your resurrection power tells us that sting and the victory of death has been swallowed up in sweet victory. And I just want to pray tonight as well for anyone who's like, I I hear, Matt, what you're saying about resurrection power, but my life feels so powerless. I, I, I just don't see the power of God by His Spirit flooding me with resurrection power. Well, if there's no better day in, in, the, in the Christian calendar than Resurrection Sunday to say, Jesus, would you give me a fresh impartation of your resurrection power into my heart and soul that I might be the conduit of heaven into everywhere I go. And if that's you tonight, I'd encourage you just to close your eyes right now and put your hands out in front of you and say, Jesus, I I need your resurrection power flowing through me. I need to be the the person of hope when there's just despair all around. I need to be the person of healing when there's just nothing but no healing happening around. Jesus, whatever it is, I wanna bring the opposite to whatever people are experiencing. me be your conduit. I want to pray for you right now. And I say, Spirit of a living God, Holy Spirit, just come and move powerfully right now. Come and minister your power. Bring about a fresh revelation of resurrection power uh, that the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in our human bodies, our mortal bodies to bring life to us. Holy Spirit, come and have your way right now as we sing, as we conclude bring about a spiritual revelation of your power in Jesus' name. Amen.